media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. When you open your Bibles to uh, Matthew 13, Matthew 13, we're going to look at two parables, and I think that just over the the five or six years, we've probably looked at these before, but I want you to, to look at them in a little bit of different perspective this morning in this relationship to joy. That's been our theme for the Christmas season. And uh, early on, I think it, in the first week, I asked this question. Do you, do we really value biblical joy? And I remember when I asked that today, I could visibly see some people shaking their heads, no. It's like, okay, we want to, we want to have high value in this, but yet we have been so conditioned by our culture and so conditioned by this guy's, our human nature, that we kind of ebb and flow in happiness. And, and we really talk much more about happiness than we do joy. So joy, as we've been going over week after week, we've been trying to find what is this biblical joy and, and why is it so foundational, especially in a world that is so crazy? Probably one of the, in the midst of this sermon series, one of the things that, that really hit me was, and I tried to, to get that little clip and I, I was not able to get it off the TV and uh, onto uh, uh, us to, to view today, but the tornadoes that hit in Kentucky and, and we saw the devastation that happened there and that was on a Saturday. And in many of those congregations, they met on Sunday morning. The First Baptist Church did, the First Methodist Church did, several of these communities, churches got together and they met individually. And I loved what the, the pastor at the First Baptist Church said as he said, you know, just to, we're going continue, to continue on because our joy is not based on temporal things. And then the Methodist Church, they had this one clip, and that's the clip that I really wanted to have for you. And he said, you know, the church building basically is gone. Many of our houses are gone. Even some of our friends and family are gone. But our joy is not gone. Because it's, it's founded, it's rooted into our relationship and the blessing of Jesus Christ. That sounds really, really good. And that's the kind of joy that we want to have. A joy that truly comes not from how good the day was and what the circumstances of life are, but that it's truly just, it doesn't change because it's found in the permanence in the work of Christ. But I imagine that many of us would have that philosophy. We would kind of know that truth. We would kind of want to be those kind of people to value joy. But could we in the midst of losing our homes and midst of losing our businesses, family or friends, in the midst of something like that, a tornado when it comes in and, and devastates a lot of different aspects of your life, could we, like that pastor that morning and many that they recorded on that uh, little news clip, said, yeah, Christ is my joy. I hate that we have to come to devastating points of life and trying trials in life to find out that foundational joy. But sometimes it is at that moment of impasse that we really do find out, Christ, you are our hope. You are our peace. You are our joy. This morning we're going to go to two parables that, that Christ talked about. Because as we talked about uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, when we describe biblical joy, 
it is often directly linked to, to trials and, and, and difficulties. And so it wouldn't be our natural choice. And what we begin to find out that it truly is a supernatural choice. Now, the minute I say supernatural choice, I know that there are some that would say, oh, okay, that's kind of mystical. No, I have a nature about me. I have the flesh, the old man, and now I have the very spirit of the living God dwelling in me, okay? And if you're a Christian here this morning, you used to have to contend with the flesh, Paul says, and yet we are filled with the very spirit of God. And when we talk about things like the fruit of the spirit, we are talking about supernatural things. And I know that so many times we take that word supernatural and all of a sudden we, you know, the world has done something with that. But in a biblical sense, what that means is life in Christ, guys. (laughs) It means life with God. That's what supernatural living is. And so let's not be scared of that. Uh, Let's understand that for some that's kind of mystical talk. But there's a natural part of me that does not have joy in trials. It has to be the supernatural part of me. When that pastor was there addressing that, that congregation, the day after many of them had lost family members and friends in, in their homes, that's a natural joy? Or is it a supernatural joy based on that they were filled with the very spirit and the hope and the peace of mighty God? So when we begin to say, do we really value biblical joy? Understand, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, that it really truly is based on the promises of God. I don't believe that supernatural joy is something that somebody in the world can have if they don't have Christ, because I think that it's founded on Him and His finished work. Throughout this whole time, we've been looking at one verse that to me is just a, probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Hebrews 12, 2. We'll go back to it real quick this morning because I really do think that this kind of personifies biblical joy as much as any verse in the Bible because it looks at Christ and it talks about that even though he's going to the cross and he's enduring the cross, he does so with joy. Why? Because it's the Father's will. Once again, Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This verse has kind of served as a foundation of this whole series. And it really serves as a foundation on the understanding if you and I are going to have biblical joy in our daily life. Let me ask you one question as we conclude this series, to kind of go with that first one, do we value joy? Did Jesus treasure what his heavenly father treasured? Did he value what his father treasured? Because I think that this really is the basis of what we see there in Hebrews 12 too, that the joy was his obedience to the father's will, his purpose, his call. And I believe that that's the key for our life. Do you treasure what God treasures? Well, in my nature, sometimes God and I are going to have some disagreement over things. Have you ever disagreed with God's timing, God's way, and some of the things that God was going to do? And they were going, okay, I kind of disagree with that. So how can we have joy in the midst of that? We begin to treasure what God treasures. We begin to treasure things like forgiveness, humility, grace, mercy, 
I mean, all these $5 church words that we start throwing and we just kind of speak of so much that sometimes I think we can trivialize them. And yet when we see the things that God treasures and we begin to treasure them in our own life, all of a sudden, no matter if life is up or life is down, we're going to find ourselves having joy and peace and hope. With that foundation, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. What we find there are seven different parables of God about the kingdom of God. And parables were God's way of really showing us Christ's way of teaching about two things, okay? Whenever you look at a parable, remember that God is teaching about two things. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, those can be synonymous, and the nature or the heart of man. All parables really reflect upon those two things. It's teaching us something about the kingdom, and that is the heart of God, but also something about the heart of man. And so you can look at all your different parables, and somewhere in there you're going to find these two things in some aspect. And certainly I would say that as Jesus is teaching in Matthew, uh, recorded these seven parables, you can find it in every one of them. Now go down to verse 44. <coughs> Excuse me. And we will look at two of the seven in relationship. Unless y'all want to stay here all day, we can look at all seven. But if not, we'll just do two, the two that are pertinent here. And look what the first one is. These are kind of short. And because they're short, they have actually become some of the most controversial parables uh, and of all the parables that Jesus told. Now, what do I mean controversial? That is open to a lot of different interpretations. If you go and you start doing some research over the uh, 2,000 years of Christian uh, writings on this and what scholars have thought about some of these different parables, there's a lot of different interpretations. And I, I think that I was taught this in seminary. Think, but don't overthink. Is that a pretty good principle in life? Think, be smart, but don't overthink. Do you think that sometimes we can overthink things that were meant to be pretty simple? <laughs> and sometimes, especially in parables, what were the purpose? Okay, to, to illustrate these great truths, these really difficult truths, but in a way that we could understand. And so we're to think about these things. I don't think that we're to overthink them. I can remember reading one book in seminary, and they had taken one of the parables, and every word in that parable, they had all these things. I mean, from a three-verse parable, they had 300 pages worth of the notes. Okay, I think what he means by this and by that, and it's like, okay, I think you've overthought it a little bit. Maybe Jesus was just trying to tell us, love your brother, <laughs> And sometimes we can overthink these two. I'll let the Holy Spirit lead you this morning in your understanding of Matthew thirteen forty four. The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, parables are illustrating two things. They're stories that Jesus would tell to show us something about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, his heart, and something about us, our heart. And we begin to see here that this kingdom of heaven is not just a place called heaven. When we see this term kingdom of heaven, it's not talking about like this place that we often think of. The other night, we watched, uh, you know, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And, you know, you have Clarence. And it shows God talking to Clarence up there if you've ever seen that story. And a lot of times we in our minds are going, okay, there's a heaven out there. And there is a heaven out there. Heaven is a real place. 
But when he talks about the kingdom of heaven, it's talking, not talking necessarily just about this place. It's talking about the things of God, the heart of God, the mind of God, the truth of God. And here he begins to say that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. And this treasure is hidden. And the man, he finds it, and then he does something. It shows us something about this heart of the man. In this situation, he begins to see that it has great value. And so what does he do? He reacts in two different ways. He has joy, and then he goes and sells everything he has to buy that field. Now, this is where we can begin to overthink that. Sometimes we go, well, that's just dishonest. This guy, he came upon this, you know, great treasure, and now he's gonna, not going to go tell the landowner. He's going to go and, and just kind of work up the money and get all this. Jesus is not trying to make an ethical statement here, okay? This is not the purpose of this in describing ethics. By the way, the Old Testament rabbinical law truly had what we kind uh, would say is a um, uh, finders, keepers, loser, weepers kind of rule to it. This truly was. Everybody in that society would have known that if you went out there and bought the field and you found treasure in it, that that treasure was yours. Now, there was a part of that rabbinical law that also said, if I'm working for you, and I go out there and find treasure in the field, and I lift it out, guess who it belongs to? You. Because I'm working for you. Okay, All these are part of this, and they would have understood that. It's a little bit foreign to us, because all of a sudden we're going, okay, is that ethical? He's not preaching from an ethical viewpoint here. He's not trying to show us ethics. What he's trying to show us is the heart of God and the heart of man. What is this kingdom of heaven? I believe it's everything about God. His creation, his salvation, his, his, uh, the future of our restoration with him. This is the kingdom of God. So Jesus tells us that uh, all that has God has done for us is like a treasure hidden in the field. And... Uh, this man was not really searching for it, but he finds it. And again, that would not have been unusual in the day. They didn't have a lot of banks. They didn't have, you know, safety deposit box and stuff like that. And so if you had some family, you know, some money or something, you would bury it there. But they were also people where there were nomadic tribes that would come through from time to time. There were wars that would go on, and sometimes you had to leave your house in a hurry. So it wasn't usual, but it was not unusual that sometimes you could be just out there in the field plowing for the, the crop for the next year, and all of a sudden there's a little box. And in that box you would find something valuable. That's the scenario that Jesus paints here. And the point that Jesus is emphasizing is how this man responds to this newfound treasure. Look what it says. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. We see two responses to this treasure. Joy, and then this selling out, this valuing. Because for you to sell everything that you had to go buy something else, wouldn't you have to value that new thing? I mean, can you imagine right now if you went home and, okay, if to your spouse, all of a sudden, Nick, you turned to Karen and you said, honey, let's just sell the house, let's sell everything, and move to Montana. Now, I don't know how Kara would feel about that. I don't know if it would be a good thing or a bad thing or what. I, I don't know how that would go over. But somehow there would have to be something in Montana that you would value. And then they would have to see that same value. In other words, there was a joy because there was a perceived value in what he found. 
and then there was a reaction of joy and that he was willing to give up anything and everything else in order to respond to this. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach us here. What is his point? That the kingdom of heaven, the things of God, are the most valuable things that we could ever possess. Certainly we would say that our salvation, knowing that one day, that uh, or not even one day that we're going to heaven, that already we are bought with a price and that, that we are God's people. That's the most valuable thing about you. So how do we allow that to turn into true joy that motivates us on an everyday basis? That's what this man does. He responds by selling all that he has. That joy was the prompting. And nowhere is Jesus trying to tell us that we can buy our salvation. Please don't get that make that mix up here or in the next parable that we're about to look at. No way could we ever purchase the things of God. No way could we ever in, in take our goodness, our value, and, and try to buy something that is invaluable uh, like a redemption. The Bible makes that very clear. Jesus made it very clear. It's not his point. His point is he, this man finds something, a treasure of great value, and he reacts with great joy. He's filled with joy. There's no hesitation. There's no holding back. Have you ever wanted to be that Christian where there was no hesitation and no holding back? Have you ever desired to be that kind of Christian? I've met some people like that, and sometimes in discipleship, some of my guys, as we're talking about those kind of people that we know, we're going, yeah, sometimes I'm around those people, and I wonder if I'm even a Christian. Because, I mean, they just, it's like they love God 150%, and you're here struggling to get 70%. And just they ooze the very spirit of God and the joy of God. Isn't that kind of our desire? I mean, I, I would hope, don't you want to be like that? Don't you want to be that Christian? Well, this Christianity, this living out of this joy, folks, it's not, not a trait that we can develop in our own flesh. It truly is just treasuring the things of God. That more and more and more we treasure what God treasures. And I don't know about you, but that's a, that's going to be a constant battle in my mind. Because Bobby treasures a whole bunch of things that are temporal, that are today and gone tomorrow, that are kind of focused here rather than eternally. I, I don't know if you battle with those things, but that's kind of a constant battle. I know what the right answer is, but it's like so many times in Christianity, we can know the right answer, but living out that right answer in the right heart is the difficult part. See, one thing I, I don't know that this is really trying to tell us, or one thing that this is kind of telling us is that, that we live the Christian life out of joy, not out of compulsion. But if you looked at your life last week and last month and this last year, would there be times that you lived the Christian life out of compulsion rather than joy? Is that better than not living the Christian life, that is, acting out on that? I would say yes. (laughs) So obedience by compulsion, I would say, is better than non-obedience, disobedience. But the ultimate call here, the ultimate call of the Christian by God's provision It's to live obedience out of joy. Why? Because we value it. Why do we value it? Because God values it. Grace. 
Humility? Mercy? Forgiveness? Those are really hard things sometimes. I mean, they sound good when they preach good. But there's times in our lives, especially that whole forgiveness thing, that all of a sudden we make a case for, you know, this is, I can't do this, I can't forgive. That's just. But yet God values forgiveness. He, he treasures forgiveness. He treasures forgiveness so much that He extended forgiveness to us. That in the midst of my sin, He treasures forgiveness so that I could become one of His children. Do we value what God values? To be honest, that's the real challenge of the Christian life. It'll be a challenge as long as we're walking in this flesh to treasure what God values uh, and to, to value those things. With natural eyes, we're going to, to not really focus and we seem to be lost in that. But with spiritual eyes, we will see that those spiritual endeavors, those things that bring God joy, that He values, are actually the places in our life that we begin to receive the most joy. I believe this is what Paul began to discover. I also see that Paul discovered this later in his life. Not to say that he didn't have it early in his ministry and that he didn't have it early in his walk with Christ. But when he's writing to the Philippians, he's near the very, very end of his life. In fact, by this time we know, as we would read in Acts, that uh, that he knows that he's going to die. And yet look what he says, Philippians 3, 8 and 9. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of what? Because of what? The surpassing knowledge, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I look at life and, and, and I, I can count all of this loss. Why? Because I see the surpassing worth of something else. What? Of Christ Jesus. For his sake I have suffered all the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now again, he's not saying that because of his goodness and because he desired these things, that he got salvation. He clears that up in the next verse. And to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God from God that depends on faith. Well, what is Paul saying? As he approaches his final breath, I found joy. And is joy in that I'm about to be executed for the faith? I don't think that, I think that would be foolish for him to have joy in that event, in that suffering. God hasn't called us into, okay, your arm's gonna be cut off, but, but have joy in it. That's not what he's doing here, folks. The case that Paul is making is, I count it all loss. It's all like rubbish in comparison to the surpassing worth of all the things that I have in Christ Jesus. He began more and more and more and more to treasure what God treasures, to value what God values. And this is our, this is our, uh, the question before us. How, how do we do that? How do we more and more just see the things of God, the value of God's kingdom? Go to the next, um, parable that Jesus told back in Matthew 13. Look at verse 45 and 46. It can be very similar. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. In, in this parable, the man is identified as a merchant. In the, the Greek word there is one who's on a journey for a trade. 
This was his purpose. This would have been a vocation back in those days. Uh, it was a type of investing. Back in biblical days, pearls were actually more valuable than diamonds. Okay, And so pearls often are seen in the Bible uh, like we would say diamonds, something of great, great value. And there were people that would go out and they would that was their job. They're, they're trading, they're investing. They try to get this pearl and they try to, you know, buy low and sell high. This was the, the job. That's the man that is, Jesus is describing. And one day he's out there in the business of his life and he finds this one pearl that is of such great value that he goes and he sells all the other pearls. doesn't say how many he had. He could have had 20, he could have had 200, he could have had 2,000. The point wasn't how many he had to trade for this one. The point was that he found value and he responded. Do you see a consistency in these two stories? While each one can stand on their own, very much, most scholars believe that they were meant, and intentionally, uh, these two out of the seven that are mentioned here in and, and Matthew 13, that the purpose was to see this consistent valuing the things that God values, treasuring the things that God treasures, and responding in joy, not just in compulsion. That our obedience truly would be founded on something of We just are excited because we have joy over it. It says that on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Like the man in the previous parable, he sees value and worth of this pearl. And he goes and he sells all to have that pearl. I really don't want to water down the weight of this, but I I want to give an illustration of of kind of how that works a little bit in our life. It's not going to be a complete parallel. It's hard for us to take our lives and have a complete parallel to the great deaths and, and uh, uh, of, of spiritual life. But for you that are married, husband and wife, over the years, have you begin, begun to value something that if you've been married for 20 years or 30 years or 10 years, that you didn't value 10 or 20 or 30 years ago? I mean, you really didn't have a lot of value, but because you value this person, now all of a sudden you begin to value that. Why? Because you change yeah, kind of, but all of a sudden because you just really like whatever that is? No, because you love that one who values it. Has that happened in any of your lives? That all of a sudden, something that wasn't that much of an interest 10, 20, 30 years ago, now has become a little bit more of an interest? Now again, that's where it begins to break down. Because let's just say that Jeff, you know, loves NASCAR. And Joe, I don't know if you... Love NASCAR, and I don't know if Jeff loves NASCAR, but you know you're gonna know you just go by yourself. I, I just don't, I don't get into it. But maybe over the years, if he just really valued it so much that it became something that you began to value a little bit. Why? Because you love the man, and he loved NASCAR. Silly example, and probably an untrue example there. But do you begin to see how that principle works? Could you see that even though that's a a human kind of relationship and it's not the same as the spiritual relationship, can you see how that works? That when you love somebody and they value something, you begin to value it too. And more and more and more on the practical side of the Christian life, as we love Christ and the things of God, and we see the things that God values and treasures, we begin to treasure them and value them. 
And what does God say about this? Why, why is this connected to this whole Advent series? Because he says, out of joy you do it, not out of compulsion, not out of fear of retribution. I mean, it'd be one thing if, again, Jeff, this is probably a, a far stretch, but I apologize in advance, if, but, you know, if you said, hey, got two tickets in NASCAR, and she says, I just have no earthly, you know, desire to go, but out of obedience, I will go. Well, she's going to be fun all weekend, isn't she? You know, out of obedience, I'll go just because, you know, I'm not going to enjoy it. Again, pardon me if I'm kind of overstepping my bounds. But can you see that happening in human life? Compulsion. Doing things because of fear of retribution from the Holy God. I would say it's better than no motivator at all and disobedience. I would say that to obey is better than sacrifice, the Bible says. But biblical joy, loving Christ in a way where we see what he values and when his word says forgive as you've been forgiven and we begin to value that. Why? Because we value our own forgiveness and we see the great price and the grace that he brought to our lives and so now we want to extend grace because God valued grace in our lives. We begin to value what God values. We begin to treasure what God treasures. And now it's not out of compulsion. I have to. Now I have joy. I can actually have joy in Christian obedience. And where does this joy come from? Not from a grin and bear it kind of Christian life. But by knowing the heart of God. Following fast after the heart of God, the pure, authentic joy of valuing what Christ values. As we head into a new year, maybe this would be a prayer that, that we would pray, not in some kind of rote way, not in some kind of, you know, scholastic assignment, but in a real heart way. God, will you teach me to value what you value? Will you just show me as I walk through my everyday life? And my eyes would be blind, just as this one man. He wasn't looking for a treasure. You notice in the first one, he's not looking for the treasure. In the second parable, the man, that's his job, is looking for it. They're both looking in one way. The one doesn't know that he's looking. He just finds it. The other one is intentionally looking. And yet they both come upon a treasure. So wouldn't it be a good prayer? God, will you, will you teach me as I just walk through my job and my responsibilities and the different roles that I play as husband or wife, mother or father, son or daughter, as I go through, will you give me eyes to see the value that you put on things? And will you teach my heart and my mind to value those things? That God, where your treasure is, that that will be my treasure. Because God, I know that ultimately, the more that I see things like that, the more I treasure the things you treasure, the more joy, biblical joy, true joy I will have in my life. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, as we wrap up this uh, series, Father, I thank you. It's been a challenge, for Father. Every week I, I see that... Uh, True biblical joy, Father, what a gift you've given, how valuable it truly is. And so many times, Father, we've made it a, a, a thing, a target that's moving. 
And yet, Father, you would describe biblical joy as being found in the person, your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Father, help us to be rooted in Him. Help us, Father, to to be grounded in, in finding Christ as the foundation of all of our life. And, Father, as we would go out in practical Christian living, Father, Father, I pray that we would find the beauty of this supernatural joy. That, Father, like that Methodist pastor that was able to get up in front of a congregation that had faced all types of different devastation from a tornado just hours before. Say, the church is gone. Half the community is gone. And even some of our family is gone. But our joy is not gone. Because it is founded in Christ. So, Father, as we go through this day and as we go through uh, this new year, Father, help us to, to pray. Help us to, to, to think deeply, Father. What is it that you treasure? Help us to find those things in your word. Reveal them, Father, through your spirit. And then transform our hearts and our minds that, Father, all of a sudden, those would be the things that we treasure, that we find great value in. And the joy, your joy, Father, would fill our lives. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for his grace. And Father, is there, is there any better way that we can sum up this year and begin a new year than Father just coming before you and singing of this amazing grace? We love you, Father. We pray this in our sources, joy, Jesus himself. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.